welcome to the New Life Fellowship podcast. New Life Fellowship is a community of grace in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Our goal is to teach and share and experience the life of Jesus Christ together. You're about to listen to a message from one of our meetings. Please make sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca. Without further ado, let's listen in. Well, good morning, everyone. For those that, that don't know me, I'm uh, Ross Gilbert. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to welcome those online, and uh, especially if this is one of your first times coming. I'd uh, love to meet with you afterwards and kind of get to know you a little bit. But that was, that was a, there we are. That was a, that was a special time of worship, I found. I don't know if anyone else felt that, but uh, uh, especially, I think, in line with what we're going to be looking at this morning. So if you brought your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to be in that a chapter again this, this morning. But when I, when I think about other faiths, uh, you know, they have faiths in other gods and, and, and multiple gods sometimes. They all picture, you can, you can imagine at least this way, that their god is at the top of a, of a figurative mountain. And it's on their job, their part now, to scale that mountain and somehow, some way, find a way to, to present themselves to that god. And, and so climbing the mountain might be through good works, it might be through moral purity or through sacrifice, uh, through worship, uh, some kind of devotion where maybe they go without certain things in their life, uh, hoping that what they've done is enough. That hopefully by the time they come face to face with their God, that their God, who seemingly is often seen as or portrayed as being disinterested or, or even sometimes cruel or at least, at least unpredictable because of the self-centeredness, they're hoping that, that that God will accept their sacrifice, accept their devotion. But when you compare this to Christianity, not only is Christianity different, I think it's the exact opposite. Because it's not, not our job to scale up this mountain. What, what happens and what the beauty of a Christianity is, is that God leaves the mountain. God leaves his throne. We, we see that. He, he left heaven. And, and in Philippians 2, it talks about he emptied himself and he, he gave up all his rights and he, he let go of living like God. He let go of his comfort. He let go of his position in order to come and be one of the little people. To be Emmanuel, God with us. And, and he does all this, meeting us in the midst of our mess. Meeting us in the midst of the, the dirty filth that we find ourselves in. Even in that pit. And it's because he knows we'd never be good enough to climb the mountain. We'd never be able to get access to him. So he comes and he meets us where we're at. And I think that's why the prophet Isaiah, quoting what God was saying, described Jesus in this manner. You don't have to turn to it, but I want to I read to you from Matthew because Matthew quotes Isaiah to, to affirm that this, this prophecy came true about Jesus. In Matthew 12, beginning of verse 18, he quotes Isaiah saying, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved, and whom my soul is well pleased. This is God talking about Jesus. I will put my spirit upon him and he shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel, will not cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A battered reed he will not break off and a smoldering wick he will not put out until he leads justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. 
A battered reed he will not break off. A smoldering wick he will not extinguish. What, what he's saying here is that Jesus is most gentle around those people who are hurting. He's most compassionate around people who need that compassion and that love. It's one of the things I love most about Jesus is that tenderness, that gentleness, that, that kindness, that understanding for when we're hurting. So in, in our passage here in 2 Corinthians 7, where, where Paul's been talking about to, to Corinth about some of the things that he's, in, he's encountered on his trip to Macedonia and or before that into Asia and all the things he struggled with. And he talks about the difficulty that he faced. So in your Bibles, you can read with me in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 5. For even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. But we were afflicted on every side, conflicts without fears within the stress and the strain that he was going through started in Asia, but continued on into Macedonia. And it was external, but it was also internal. The, the stress, the anxiety, the fears, the worry, the despair, the depression that they were experiencing in their souls. And then he writes these simple but hope-filled, glorious verses in 6 and 7. But God, but God who comforts the depressed, comfort us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort by which he, he was comforted in you. As he reported to us your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. Did you see it? God comforts the depressed. Let me give you some statistics that I found online regarding depression. Uh, one in five people in their lifetime will experience a significant depressive episode in their lives. That was a stat that has been known for a long time, has been fairly steady, uh, but it was before COVID, before the lockdowns. They say between 5 and 10% of the population is depressed at any given moment. During COVID, however, and the lockdowns, that number jumped to 30%. Almost one in three people were struggling in a significant way with depression while all those lockdowns and, and COVID was happening. What's sad, though, is roughly only half of, the, of people who are struggling with depression will seek help, professional help of some sort, I should say, because the reality is the other half, they're seeking help, but they're self-medicating, dealing with it on their own. This stat is just mind-boggling. Two-thirds of people who identify as transgen transgendered also struggle with, with significant depression, and it doesn't get better after they transition which might tell us that maybe there's something else going on here and we need to address those issues. You'll find if you continue on with the, the study of this that depression is not a respecter of person, meaning it impacts men and women, rich and poor, young and old. Doesn't matter about your race, doesn't matter about whether you're at the top of society or at the bottom, whether you're healthy or you're sick, it will come for anyone, it, it doesn't care. And so depression is one of the most common issues that we face in our society. And for those who struggle from time to time, especially those who are struggling right now, I want you to know that God's left his throne. That God has abandoned his throne in order to come and minister to you, to bring comfort to you where you're at. That's what God is. That's what he's doing. Because God comforts the depressed. 
And so my hope this morning is that we're going to be able to better understand depression. We're going to be better to understand the struggle, but also understand how God brings that comfort and that hope. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are treading into sacred ground here because we're talking about hurting souls. And and you are so gentle. You will not... You will not break off a reed that seems to be worthless and seems to be broken. A little, little flame, you will not just blow out. Instead, you will carefully look after it. You'll carefully care for it. And so I pray this morning, Lord Jesus, that that would be true in what I say. That your heart, your spirit would be manifest and that we would find life in you. That we'd find healing for what we're struggling with. And so we're going to trust you as best we know how, Lord Jesus, so that we personally could experience comfort, but also that we would learn how to comfort those who are struggling. In your name we pray, amen. Well, let me, let me start with a, a technical definition of depression. Uh, depression is a mood disorder that causes a persistent feeling of sadness and loss of interest. And if that doesn't help you, you're not alone. Because I, I don't think that that definition really helps, doesn't solve anything, doesn't really define anything. Uh, it's just really, quite frankly, just words on a page. And so I think to really understand depression, we're better off describing it. At its, at its most basic level, most basic understanding, I think depression is, is a loss of hope. It's a, it's a loss of hope that change will come or, or that things will be different, that, that there's a future for me. It's why suicide actually is so attractive to people who are struggling with depression. See, you have to understand, I I believe that suicide is a selfish act. I believe that. And let me explain why. Because what you're doing is when you're experiencing that pain and you, you take your life, you take your pain and you multiply it and give it to a bunch of other people to carry now for the rest of their lives. Because that, that, that act will always leave a deep scar, will always be difficult for those people to understand what they're going through. But while I believe that suicide is a selfish act, I don't believe people who are struggling with suicide thoughts or even commit suicide are selfish people. Do you see the difference? So you have to understand that the reason that suicide is so attractive is because in that moment, it's seen as the only answer. In that moment, it's seen as the only way out. It's, it's seen as the end of the pain that they're struggling with. And it's, so it's why that a lot of people who, when they finally make that decision to commit suicide, they begin to feel relief because they see an end to their pain and their suffering. So I want you to understand people who struggle with suicide or depression, they're hurting. And that's way more important than, than the selfishness of that act or those thoughts. They're hurting. And that's what God wants to minister to. The problem is with depression, there's, there's no blood test that we can do. There's no x-ray, no MRI that you'll be able to perform and go, oh, look, see this marker or this, this, you know, this dark spot here, that's depression. We can prove it and we can, we can even judge and say, well, it's, you've got an aggressive form of depression or, or a mild form. We, we don't have any tests like that. Instead, the tests that are applied are subjective. Often medical practitioners, they, they kind of ask you different questions to try to get a sense of how significant the depression is in your life. 
I was talking to one psychiatrist and he said to me, the question he found really is to be the most effective is he says, are you depressed? A little on the nose there if you ask me, but, um, but he says, it's really, it's the simplest question to ask people. Are, are you feeling depressed? And yeah, I'm struggling. Now, the thing with that though, is that people who are struggling with depression, they don't walk around with a big sign on, on them often. They may look normal. They might laugh and smile and be hanging out with friends and, and generally seem to be doing okay on the outside. But inside, they're struggling. Inside, in their soul, where we can't see, there's all kinds of difficulty and tumult going on there. And they're going to experience some combination of, of the following. There's going to be a, a loss of interest in things that they used to be passionate about. Maybe it was a hobby or, a, or they loved music or they loved movies or reading or books or, or walking in nature and suddenly now that's gone. And they just can't seem to store, stir up the passion that they once had for it. Or there's a, a deep fatigue, a physical fatigue where they just, they just want to sleep. And it's, it doesn't matter how much sleep or, or how little work they're doing, they're, they're just this soul tired and they're wanting to sleep because that just is a great way of escape. They often have a negative or, or pessimistic view on life. You know, one of, the, one of the beautiful things about the children's uh, stories of Winnie the Pooh is each of the characters kind of represent someone an emotional way. And so you've got Eeyore. And Eeyore is a great picture of someone who's struggling with depression. He feels broken, right? Depression looks like, but you can imagine Eeyore's view that, that everything's going to fail. Everything's going to end. It's that negative, pessimistic view on life. And often they prefer to isolate themselves. They don't want to be around people. It's easier to, to become an introvert and become very quiet. There's often a prevailing sadness that everything is just a little muted in their life. It's almost like the bright colors are a little turned down in everything. Most basic tasks, they, they feel impossible. They, they, they feel like it's, it's just too much and too big to handle. And, and so why often they, they kind of let their personal grooming go away. And they, they've kind of just don't worry about it anymore because it's just too much to deal with. No, John, that does not explain why I look this way. So I know you're thinking it. <laughs> they often feel guilty because they feel like they're a burden to everyone. And they often, and this is a lie, they believe that everyone would be better off without them. That's the seduction of suicide. But it also explains why they got low self-esteem or self-hatred or even just self-disgust because they look at themselves and they think, why can't I just get it together? We might summarize it this way as saying that it's basically like you got this cold, wet blanket over your head suffocating you, making it difficult to move or breathe. Many years ago, my friend John Lynch, he, he wrote a, a blog post, an article on Facebook describing depression. I thought, oh, it's just, he nailed it. It was such a great description. So I want to read it to you this morning. He writes, there are, there are countless friends today choosing to get up this morning, to get dressed. They sit and stare for a bit. 
They drink strong coffee or tea, and then they fight hard to stand up and walk into this life. They don't especially want to. They can't, can't seem to rally it. There is sadness all over them that they can't label. They keep trying to fight it off, self-talk it off, but it stays on them like a wet woolen coat. They have this conversation going on inside. Come on, just get, get in the flow of it. It's just, just another conversation with another person. Just, just walk some more steps. We've got this. Come on, kid. I, I know you can do this. God, God, help me find me. Help me wake up. Some days are better than others. Some have chemical issues. Some just can't figure out their sadness. Some are trapped in woundedness and don't know a way home. Mostly, I'm thinking about today of the ones able just to carry on with life, but they can't figure out why. They just want to get out of bed somewhere around two in the afternoon. You might tell them to think on happy things or be thankful for what they have and list them one by one. And they do everything you tell them. But the coat is still dragging, getting caught on edges. When you're in that place, nothing seems to drive out the thick, smoky, alienating haze. I only know I've visited that place. You've identified yourself and we've waved kindly at each other. You're not alone. And you're not wrong. And you're not estranged or forgotten. This is not your fault. You are the best kind of heroic because what you're going through is invisible to most. You know, we, we see people with a broken leg and they have a cast or a broken arm and, or, you know, some kind of you know, neck brace and we look at them and go, wow, like we see your pain. We can see you're struggling. But there is no marker for depression. And we don't understand. We don't, we don't get it. So we don't really know what's happening. But I think we need to understand that even believers, even healthy, strong, mature believers can struggle with depression. We saw Paul in the passage we're studying here in chapter 7 of 2 Corinthians. But Elijah, Elijah is known as, as probably the greatest prophet and after this incredible encounter that he has where he, he connects with God and he sees God rain down fire on Mount Carmel. Right? I mean, incredible where, where these you know, prophets of Baal are having a God off. And, and you know, prophets of Baal are, are doing everything they can to, to get their God, Baal, to, to light this altar on fire and they can't do it. And, and hours are going by and Elijah's trash talking, which I love that part. And then finally, after soaking the altar, fire comes raining down lights it all up. And the people of Israel are in awe and they repent. You would think this was the moment that Elijah was waiting for. But he's terrified now because Jezebel, the queen, hears this and promises to kill him. And so he just bolts and he runs 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 until he's exhausted. He's now struggling with depression. And an angel comes and basically says to him, Sleep and eat, sleep and eat, sleep and eat. But the great prophet Elijah struggled with depression. David struggled with depression. So many Psalms, but Psalm 6 in particular, you can see the heart, the ache within his soul. And many of the other psalmists as well. How long, O oh Lord, will I be forgotten? 
Why, O soul, are you so downcast? What's going on? Why is it so dark? So just because you're a faithful believer does not make you immune. But it also means if you're struggling with depression, doesn't mean you're a bad Christian. Doesn't mean you're failing. Just means you're going through a struggle right now. And the first and maybe most important thing you'll know this morning is God's not angry with you. He's not disappointed with you. He's not punishing you. He hasn't forgotten or abandoned you. And it's most certainly not a lack of faith on your part. It's a battle you're in. It's a struggle you're in. And God wants to meet you in it. Now, what I'm sharing about depression and will continue to share, you know, partly is from my studies and reading books and articles and watching videos about depression. But to be honest, I don't think that's really what qualifies me. I mean, I've, I've experienced it firsthand in counseling people for, for many, many years and seeing the darkness and the despair that people are dealing with and how pat answers don't work. Cliches actually make it worse. So I've seen firsthand what depression does to a person. But I've also experienced it myself. Times in my own life where I just feel like I want to quit. I want to give up. I don't want to do this anymore. There's a, there's a time and period in my life where, where I would wake up and the first thought was, I hate my life. And I remember I listened to the song Worn by, by 10th Avenue North and I could just relate to it. And I, I found it interesting that, that the, uh, <clears throat> the band who wrote that song said that the radio, Christian radio, didn't want to play the song. It's too negative. There wasn't any hope to it. But it was real. But maybe the thing that's really kind of taught me the most about depression is, is living with someone who regularly battles with it. Talking about joy, she's, she's been hospitalized with it. Over, over 10 years ago, I, I literally drove her to the psych ward. I mean, I think I did it figuratively as well, but I literally took her to the psych ward. She's been medicated, uh, been through counseling and all kinds of other different treatments. But I count it as a privilege and an honor to be able to live with someone and see it up close, where it's not just simply give some answer, give some words of encouragement, and then they go home. But she comes home to me. And I've, I've learned the most about depression and how to comfort people in loving her and seeing Jesus work in her. So let's talk about why people struggle with depression. I think if the experts were really honest, they would tell us they don't know why, that they don't understand it. It's likely a combination of factors, to be honest. I think what we want to do in our world is we want to simplify things and reduce things to one or two things, and it rarely, rarely is that ever the case. It's a complicated issue, which is why we haven't been able to wrap our heads around it and understand it. I mean, there is a physical side, right? Maybe there's a, a tendency within your family. Maybe there's a DNA aspect to it to which you're more prone to experiencing depression, right? There's that, that whole nature-nurture environment debate, and I always think it's yes, it's all three. And so maybe there's an element in which you've inherited a, a propensity towards it. But they would, they would surmise at this point that all depression is hormonal-based, 
that it's the hormones that are fluctuating, going up and down. And, and when, you, when you think about that, it makes sense. I mean, postpartum depression, it often happens for women, you know, when their hormones are going up and down. And that's a pretty miserable place to be in, and the body can't handle that. Hence, some women experience depression. But it's not only hormonal-based because you have to ask the question, well, what's causing these hormones to go out of whack? And then why do some people struggle with it and others don't? Because there's more to it. There's many factors involved. And so what's interesting is the drugs that are prescribed by, by doctors are hoping to address these hormonal imbalances and change different things. But again, if they're honest, they don't know why they work. They really don't, which is why it's an art. When you go see a doctor, they'll say, well, let's try this drug. Well, that didn't work. Well, that's okay. We'll try this one. Well, let's try this one. Let's try this dosage. And they're really just trying to experiment based on experience. But again, there's no test. There's no way to say, well, this is the issue. This is the drug you need, like they can in other health issues. And they talking to some doctors, they would even argue they don't know whether the drugs actually make a difference or if it's just a placebo effect. Instead, I think what we know most about depression is from what we've observed. And there's probably a number of factors that, again, that contribute to this great sadness, but here are some of the most common ones. A past trauma. Maybe they were abused as a child, physically, emotionally, sexually. Maybe there was a bullying that they experienced. Maybe, maybe there was a divorce in their family. And they lost their parents. Or maybe they experienced a divorce in their past. Maybe there's some unresolved guilt from a sin. Much like Adam and Eve, after they sinned, they hid from God. Maybe, maybe they've never dealt with the sin that they've done in their life, and so they've retreated, and they're hiding from God as a result. I remember counseling one lady, and she was deeply depressed because she was unwilling to face the guilt that she felt from having an abortion. She couldn't forgive herself. She couldn't let Jesus love her and forgive her. And so she struggled. And I remember her calling me one day, sitting on the edge of a lower gorge. Maybe it's just disappointments and difficult circumstances that you're currently going through. Maybe you've experienced loss of a job. Maybe it's a, a dream that, that hasn't turned out or it seems to be blocked. Or, or maybe you lost a loved one. Or maybe you're going through a terminal illness. And, and your thoughts are tempted to say, well, God, if you really loved me, you would take it away. But because you're not, then I'm alone in all this. Maybe it's feeling burnt out, feeling overwhelmed with life and responsibilities and tasks, much like Elijah was. Or maybe it's chronic pain or chronic illness. Please understand, chronic pain is far worse than just intense pain. Ladies, you can back me up, but every, every woman I've asked this of, given the choice between the intense pain of labor or small, moderate pain, but every day for the rest of your life, what would you choose? The intense pain. It's hard and it's difficult, but it's over. But the intense pain is like the Chinese water drop test or torture, which is drip, 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 day after day after day after day. It just wears at your soul. Maybe it's jealousy. 
comparing yourself with others and where they're at and where you're at and where you think you should be and why are they getting this and blessed and why am I not? Maybe it's a sense of a loss of a purpose or maybe it's just misplaced hope. Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. So if our hope is misplaced, if our hope is in the wrong place and it doesn't come to fruition, that despair making our heart sick leads to the depression. You see, it's basically that some combination of those sources, maybe it's a combination of past trauma and difficult circumstances and chronic pain or other things, but it's some combination of that leads to feelings and thoughts. Thoughts and feelings about this is never going to end. It's never going to change. I'm, I'm, I'm stuck here. And so I begin to think and feel that, and over time, those thoughts and those feelings take hold and they become beliefs. I'm stuck. It's hopeless. It's pointless. I can't control anything. I can't do anything. And, and so the anxiety and the fear and the overwhelmness just grows and grows and grows until we reach that point of despair, of hopelessness. And that's when depression sinks in. And so the world sees this and it, it wants to help. It wants to treat it, but it's hard to really treat something you don't fully understand. And so it, it tries a bunch of things. It, it offers meds. Now, please understand, it is not wrong to take meds as a Christian. It is not a sign of lack of faith. Not at all. We, we are in a physical body that is fallen, that is broken. And if you, if you don't realize that and you think you can just ignore it, you're, you're crazy. And sometimes we need the meds to help us. Sometimes it's, it helps lift the mood in that moment. I love this illustration. It's like diabetes. There are two kinds of diabetes. There's type 1, type 2. Type 1 is you're born with it. Your body just doesn't produce insulin properly. You didn't do anything wrong. You didn't ask for it. You're living in a fallen world with a fallen body. And thank God we've discovered something called insulin that can help regulate now the insulin levels and they're okay. And so they take this medication called insulin and they can live a mostly normal life after that. But then there's type 2 diabetes. And type 2 diabetes is where because of your lifestyle choices and how you, the foods you eat and the amount of sugar you take, your body now can no longer regulate sugar and insulin levels properly. And so what you do is you still take insulin. But you also now maybe make some lifestyle changes so that you can bring your health back into a healthy spot, a good spot. But it's not wrong to take the meds. And so we need to understand these meds are a gift from God for us. That's why it talks about in Proverbs, the one who's depressed, give them a little wine. Because the wine is, is a drug, the alcohol. It's a, it's a very mild form of, of meds, but this is what Jesus is saying. This is what God's saying to us. So it's not wrong to take meds. But here's my experience. Meds are very, very rarely the answer. What they do is they buy you time. See, the problem is when you're that low and that, that overwhelmed, it's hard to hear. All you feel are the emotions screaming at you, despair, hopeless, pointless, give up, too much. And so the meds come in and they, they lighten things a little bit. They take the edge off. 
And the mistake you would make at that point is say, ah, all better. The meds were the answer. Off we go. But really all it is, is it's like it's numbing the pain. It's just killing the pain a little bit. It'd be, it'd be equivalent, basically, of having such a bad broken bone, right, in your leg, like the bone sticking out sort of thing. Like think Joe Theismann, right, if you're, if you're old enough to remember him, right? Like it's just a gruesome injury. And so you take some meds, you take some painkillers, maybe, maybe an epidural, and now oh, I don't feel the pain anymore. I'm all good now as I hop through life. Would that be smart? No. What do you do? Take advantage of the painkillers, but now treat the wound. And that depression you're feeling is simply your body's way of saying, your soul's way of saying, I'm in a battle and I'm struggling. And if you numb it, it's not going to go away. But maybe, maybe now I'll be able to address it. And so the meds, all they do is they buy you time. The problem is if you don't take advantage of that time, what happens always is they come back to the doctor says, it's not working anymore. The doctor says, okay, well, let's up your dosage. Let's up your dosage. Let's up your dosage. Maybe we need to try other meds. And at some point you realize it doesn't work anymore because you, you spent 20 years numbing the pain rather than addressing it. So please understand, meds are great. They're a gift from God, but rarely are they the actual the answer. They've introduced another form of therapy, reintroduced really shock therapy, hoping to shock the brain and, and reset some of the pathways. They offer counseling, but I think often the counseling that is being offered is either a combination of you just talk about it until you're too tired to talk about it, or you're given a, le- a list of things for you to do to try to fix your life now. Maybe you need to, you need to exercise more. You need to eat better. You know, cut out gluten, cut out... All the stuff that tastes good, basically. That's the simple test, right? Uh, get better sleep and more sleep and, and avoid social media. And find a good routine. Get up at the same time and, and turn, get off screens at a certain time and go to bed at the same time and, and have a routine while you're going to bed and, and just provide that routine to give you some structure in your life. And just think positively, which is basically saying don't be depressed. Well, if I'd only known... That would have solved all kinds of things. And now, sadly, and this is mind-boggling, we see our government pushing suicide as the answer. At best, at best to be the most, um, to, to kind of view it in the best way, it would be saying, the government saying, you know what, we see your pain, we see it so great, but there's no answer for you, so you might as well not suffer. That's the best, most uh, generous view or take on that. But you know what I think it really is? We just don't want to handle you anymore. And it would be better if you're not around. We don't value life in our world. When we're talking about minors, we're talking about minors who are going through a difficult time, thinking, you know what, maybe you just need to kill yourself. There's no answers in this world, which is why people then turn to self-medication, sex, drugs, food, uh, other sin. Uh, The drugs might be street, might be prescription. Uh, We turn to entertainment, hobbies. Throw yourselves into your job. Just get a career, build your career, 
change careers, get a new job, move, change houses, uh, new cities, new spouse, start over. All kinds of things, just trying to distract, to numb, to comfort, to overcome. But it never works. It's never enough. Because who are we missing in all of it? We're missing Jesus. You see, if you understand what happened in the garden, if you understand the state that we're in, we do not live in paradise. This is not the Garden of Eden anymore. We live in a fallen world, and there's all kinds of struggles we face. But that's why Jesus left the mountain. That's why he left his throne. That's why he left heaven, and he came down to meet you in your pit, to meet you in your mess, in your misery, in your sadness, in your despair, in your hopelessness. And so our only, hate, only hope, our only answer is in Jesus. And so this is where God offers us comfort. And I think at the, the basic level where it all starts of what it means that God offers us comfort is it starts with God loves you. I, I say that to people and I, I can picture to my mind the reaction. They look at me and then look away and say, yeah, yeah, I, I know, I know. And I want to say to them, no, you don't. <laughs> you really don't. You have no idea that he loves you. Because if you did, if you knew the love that God has for you right now, that love would chase away the despair. That love would give you hope. Because you would discover that if God loves me, this God that is in complete control, that this God who is faithful to me, that this God is always working everything out for my good, and even in this difficult time, he's at work. Even in this difficult moment, he's producing something within me. That's, that's Romans 5, right? Romans 5, 3 to 5 talks about how we glory in our tribulations because we know the tribulations, the trials, are actually doing something for us. They're not your enemy. The struggle is not the problem. Struggle, struggle is exercising something inside of you. And so he says we glory in our tribulation because that tribulation brings about perseverance, resilience, strength to stand up under the trial. Sometimes God rescues you from the trial and we say, God, thank you. I thought I was going to have cancer. Turns out I don't. Praise God. But then there's other times where God rescues you through the trial. He doesn't take it away, but he gives you the strength and the grace to get through it the perseverance, the resilience, the strength. And that perseverance, it provides, it produces proven character. We see your heart. We see who you really are. And you see who you really are. And you see who Jesus really is in you. And that proven character produces hope. A hope that does not disappoint. Because he goes on to say, because the love of God has been poured out within your heart. That love of God is there to chase away the despair. So I think he shows our love in many ways. He shows us love through words, speaking directly to us. There might be words of uh, thoughts of encouragement, of, of hope, where we just see things that maybe we didn't know before. I mean, what Joy shared this morning, I mean, you don't know the week she's been in. She, she's told me that there's certain things I'm not allowed to preach on anymore. Can't preach on marriage? because that causes problems. And I can't preach on depression, 
because that causes problems. But do you hear how God spoke to her? Or uh, that's for me. So <clears throat> I can't speak on anger. That's, that's my problem. So I'm going to speak on prosperity coming up. That's the plan. <laughs> but, um, but did you hear what God said to her? Of how in this, this darkness, this misery, this difficulty, there's this little flame. Made me think about Elijah. Remember Elijah's all miserable? God, I'm alone. Everyone's abandoned me. I just, I just need to see you. And there was an earthquake, but God was not in the earthquake. And there was a mighty storm, but God wasn't in the storm. There was lightning. God, God wasn't in lightning. And then there was a gentle breeze. That's where he was. There's comfort. There's hope again. There's freedom. There's something to look forward to because there's the knowledge that no matter what you're going through, it will pass. I promise you. It's only temporary. You see, that's the lie that we fall into, the trap we fall into, and why suicide feels so good because we think it's permanent. And so what we find is a permanent solution to a temporary problem in suicide. God's offering you something else. What you're going through is temporary. It will pass, I promise you, God says. It's a momentary suffering. But God will also use his church. We saw that in verses six and seven of this passage, right? How, how God used Titus to minister to Paul, but he also used the church in Corinth to minister to Paul. So that's the body of Christ where we, we love each other. We support one another. We get to comfort one another as Christ does that through us. And we can do this through encouragement, through love, through restoring hope by reminding them what's true, by offering acceptance but not demanding that they stop struggling. I am... Um, I'm amazed at the songs that we sang this morning. Um, what's the, the song? I don't remember the name of the song. Uh, he gives and takes away. No, that's not the one. The, the gives and takes away. Blessed be your name. Do you know where that verse, that, that song is, is from in the Bible? It's Job. Job's lost everything. Lost his kids, lost his, his, his farms, lost his income, he's lost his homes, he's lost everything except for the nagging wife. That, you get to keep the nagging wife, Job. You're welcome. And so she says to him, why don't you just curse God and die? And Job says, can't do it. He gives and he takes his way. Blessed be his name. But it wasn't simple. It wasn't easy because now the chronic part kicks in and more loss and more hurt comes. For Job, it, it really was when he lost his reputation. And now he was a joke in the city and everyone's laughing at him now. So his three friends come and for one week, they were incredible friends. Because what did they do? They just sat with him. They didn't say anything. They just sat with him and said, Job, we're here. And then they blew it because then they opened up their mouth and they started speaking and making a mess of things. And that's not what God's asking of us. 
My friend has a plaque in his office, and I've, I've loved this phrase. And on the plaque, it says, the grace of God appeared. It sat down with me until I was ready to walk again. I think that's the comfort that God wants to offer to us, to those people who are struggling, not to fix them. Oh, man, that, that was a hard lesson for me to learn. I mean, not only am I a guy, a man, I'm an engineer. I mean, I see a problem, like instinct just kicks in, fix, 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 fix. But I had to learn that's not what, not what God's looking for me to do here. He's looking for me to offer love and comfort instead. And so I had to, I had to struggle through that one. But, but I began to hear questions that helped me understand that. The questions were, what if, what if the goal is not to get people fixed so they don't struggle anymore? See, too often why I want to fix other people's struggles is because their struggles are inconvenient for me. And so it's really selfish in my motivation to try to fix them. But what if it wasn't about fixing them? What if it was more about just giving them a place where they could be known, a place where they could experience love? Because quite frankly, if they have no needs and they have no struggles, it's really difficult to experience love and comfort. So maybe that's what God's more interested in. And maybe when they experience that kind of love and acceptance and comfort, maybe then those issues become addressed and they get healed. But it's not really the point. It's not really what I'm called to do. I'm called to love and offer comfort to people. And I'm convinced that's the issue. That's the case. Because if it's not, then we're just under a law that says, thou shalt not struggle. Thou shalt not be depressed. Thou shalt not have bad days. And when you're under that law, it only offers more death and condemnation. So I've learned that I'm not trying to fix people. It's not my job. I'm not the assistant Holy Spirit. It's his job to bring healing. And it's my job just to love them, to offer them a safe place, a friendship, where they can be known, loved, accepted, especially when they struggle and when they fail. So my goal is no, more, no longer just don't struggle anymore. And if that's your goal, I want you to know then your, your life is too small. It is, a, it is a small goal to just not struggle. Our goal is to something bigger. Our goal is to know Jesus, to know a, a, this God who's left a mountain, who is gentle and caring to those who are hurting, which means sometimes you're going to hurt. Sometimes you're going to go through difficult times. But the depression is not my enemy anymore. The depression is the very thing, the very experience that God's using to do something special in me or in someone else. Turn in Romans 8. And I want you to listen to this. Verse 18, he writes, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is revealed to us. The present momentary sufferings, that's what he uses in 2 Corinthians 4, does not compare to this eternal weight of glory. God's up to something. He's in it. I promise you, he hasn't abandoned you, he hasn't forsaken you, he hasn't, he hasn't, this one didn't slip by him. He is intimately involved in all of it. Jumping down to verse 23, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. Oh, I've been there. But the Spirit himself intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. 
and he searches the hearts, knows the mind of the spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know, we're confident, we're assured that the God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him. Doesn't mean everything's gonna be good, but he's gonna make it work out for our good. To those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that we might be the firstborn among many brethren. That's, that verse isn't meant to beat people up with. It's not meant to just be a, a cliche or a quick solve just to try to, to, to take away their pain. But it is meant to bring comfort. It is meant to bring hope. And so I think if, if you find yourself in this moment where you're going through the difficulty, there's a part you play in this. Please understand it is a fight you're in and you will need to fight. It's a struggle. And sometimes people will fight with you and other times they might even fight for you, but likely at some point you're going to be involved. You're going to be fighting. You won't be able to be a, a passive bystander in this. And God wants to offer you comfort, but guess what I need to do then? I need to... Receive it. I got to lay hold of it. I got to trust in it. And so my counsel to you would be to seek him as best you know how. Turn to him as best you know how in the moment. Maybe that means listening to worship music. Maybe that means in prayer. Maybe it means reading his word. And I would encourage you particularly, read this book of Psalms. You will read that book and you'll go, wow, that's what I'm feeling. And make sure you're listening to what he says to you about your situation and then trust in what he says. Hold to and trust to what you know to be true. God is love, that he's in control, and that he's faithful, and he's going to use this momentary struggle for your good. Hold to that truth, and you will get through it. It will pass. I just want to close quickly with this. In Lamentations, the Book of Lament, written by Jeremiah. It's all about after Israel had been taken into captivity. And in there, he, he writes about the horrors he's seen and what he's, what he's experiencing. And I want to read to you in, in chapter 3, beginning in verse 17. He says, My soul has been rejected from peace, and I have forgotten happiness. I remember what it was like to laugh or have joy. I'm just done. So I say my strength has perished and so has my hope from the Lord. This is the great prophet Jeremiah. 50 years, he's been a prophet of God, faithfully serving and trusting God. And now he says, God, it's gone. I'm hopeless. I'm, I'm despairing. I got nothing. Verse 19, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and my bitterness. Surely, surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. He's in a pit. And then he says this, this I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have hope. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease. His faithfulness never is broken for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That incredible hymn that joy-filled hymn that I would sing as a child, belting it out, was penned in a pit. But it was a way out. 
Lord is my portion, says my soul, and therefore I have hope in him. If you're struggling, ask for help. Receive that help and let God love you. Let's pray. Father, you're a good God. Good, good God. We sang about that this morning. Even when we lose, you give, you take away, we can still say you're blessed because you're always doing and working for our good. But that doesn't mean that everything's going to be good. It doesn't mean everything's going to be easy. It doesn't mean everything's going to be smooth sailing. There are some dark times. And I pray, Lord, that, that in those moments we would reach out for help to one another, but more importantly to you. And that we would trust and we would hold on to what you tell us and how you comfort us and encourage us. But I thank you, Jesus, that you meet us in our pit. You don't wait for us to climb that. In your name we pray. You've been listening to the New Life Fellowship podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca, and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.